This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. I'd like to call your attention to Matthew 21, 1 through 17. And if you're fine, would you please stand? <clears throat> 21 and 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethlehem, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, if anyone say anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And she, and this, I mean, excuse me. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coat, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the coat, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove of all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money, chargers, and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it in a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful thing that he had did, and the children crying out into the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what, the, what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of the babes and the nurses of infants, you have perfect praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethlehem, and he lodged there. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, look to you. Father, asking for uh, enablement here that you would enable all of us to hear your word in the sense that we would receive, perceive it, and embrace it. Lord, make Your truth effective in our hearts. Lord, for for our growth. Lord, so that we may have a greater understanding of You and of Your purpose for us, of our mission here in this world, and of our calling to worship You. We pray that you would use your word today uh, to that end. 
by the power of Your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You be seated. Okay, um, <clears throat> Matthew 21 here. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And I, what I want to try to do this morning, I'm, I'm actually going to uh, focus in on verses 10 through 17. Uh, at least that's the plan, Lord willing. Um, but I did want to uh, have the whole thing read again just to help us with the context so that you know what's going on here. This is Jesus riding into uh, Jerusalem and what we traditionally call the triumphant entry. Um, the, in the, uh, the last week of, of Jesus' life and ministry uh, on the earth before He is crucified and uh, risen and ascends to the Father. So this is the final week. And it's the gathering for the Feast of the Passover. And at this point, Jesus' popularity has, has grown so much that um, there are great multitudes, as uh, Matthew records, going behind Him and in front of Him, and they are praising Him. Now, I want to basically focus in on one of the questions that they raise here um, in verse 10. When He entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? So, what I want to try to do is answer that. Who is this? While the commotion. I mean, again, look at Matthew's account. If you go back to verse 9, you picture Jesus riding in on the colt, donkey that had never been ridden before. Verse 9 says, crowds went, that, The crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, these are specific um, things that they're saying. I mean, what, they're, what they're doing, in a sense, is confessing their belief that Jesus is the Messiah. So, they are praising Him, as it were. They're excited, praising God, because God has sent the Messiah. And I, Lord willing, talk a little bit more about that in a minute, because I don't think all of their understanding was, was, was correct here. The, the events that follow, I think, will prove that out. But nevertheless... At this point, they're going behind him and before him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's uh, actually a quote from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. And I find it interesting that the, the Hebrew um, word there, Hosanna, means save now or please save, something to that effect. Um, it's, not, it's not translated here, it's just brought over into Greek, literally, and then into English the same way. Hosanna. Um, you know, if, if you've ever used the word Hosanna, or more likely today, one we say more is, is uh, Hallelujah, um, then you've, you've, you've spoken a little Hebrew. So, um, <laughs> if anybody asks you if you know Hebrew, you can at least say a little, a little. <laughs> anybody know what Hallelujah means? What's it mean? It means praise the Lord. Literally, it means praise the Lord. Um, but, you know, it's kind of used as an exclamation, right? A praise, hallelujah, you know, something we like or, or, or whatever, something that moves us. And I think that's what's happening here 
um, by Jesus' day. That's what ha- is happening here also with the term Hosanna, because if you look at the way it's used and, th- and think about the literal meaning, save, although that's, it's, that's relevant, but still the way they say it, Hosanna to the Son of God. And if you did that literally, um, save now to the Son of God, or please save to the... It, it doesn't quite grammatically make sense. So I think they're using it as an exclamation. Nevertheless, they are, uh, I think, um, also using it in, in the literal sense of a plea, save now. Right? They're confessing that they think this is the Messiah. He's come, and they're rejoicing the Lord and crying out to God, save now. In other words, they're thinking this is time. This is it. God sent His Messiah. He's going to deliver the nation of Israel. Now, this is what I meant a few minutes ago by their understanding not being totally correct. Um, because I think their idea of salvation was a little off. So when they're saying, save now, save now, save now, they're thinking God has sent His Messiah to liberate us from the Roman government. And Jesus is going to sit on David's throne and we're going to once again be a great sovereign nation. Everything's going to be good in a, in a very materialistic, natural sense. That's a real danger. I think it's a real danger for Christians today to confuse the kingdoms. And I, I see all these signs, and I'm, don't misunderstand me. I don't, it's not that I, I, I don't, I don't want to be sound critical. It's not that I totally don't appreciate them. But a lot of times, you, there, I, you know, I saw in a church marquee recently, the cure for our nation, and then the, the, the quote from, Second Chronicles 7.14, My people which are gathered by my name shall humble themselves and pray. I will hear, hear their land, heal their land. It's just a paraphrase. But, um, well, nothing wrong with claiming that promise except my people which are called by my name. That's not Americans. That's Christians. That's Christians. That's believers. So, I, you know, I don't know that it's a cure for what ails America other than if, if everybody gets saved, you know, then praise God. Then everybody can, all Americans can claim to be people of God. Um, but that's not the case now. And America's not, never has been, not intended to be the kingdom of God. Two different kingdoms. Got real quiet, didn't it? <laughs> I would argue we're not even a Christian nation and never have intended to be, uh, been intended to be. But that's another thing. Uh, I mean, in one sense we are, in one sense we're not. Um, the kingdom of God is what we should be concerned with ultimately. Uh, not that we don't want to be good citizens. Not that we don't want to pray for our leaders. We do. We'll pray for Barack Obama. Pray for his family. Pray for Governor General. Pray for... You know, whoever your, your mayor is or, or uh, parish police or whatever the case, pray for our leaders. But <laughs> there's another kingdom that supersedes what we know here in this life. And Jesus was coming to save. And save now. But his, his main concern at this point was not to liberate the nation of Israel from the Romans to abolish taxes. That would be nice, wouldn't it? If we could, you know, it'd be great if there was a scripture that you know said we could uh, you know, have a promise to abolish taxes. I, you know, I, that'd be nice. But actually, it's just the opposite. We're told to pay our taxes. 
Jesus was coming to liberate, but He was coming to liberate souls from sin and death. And He was coming as King. He's riding in. In fact, we're told that. You go back to verse 5. Matthew clearly says this is a fulfillment of a prophecy. Say to the daughter of Zion, from Zechariah 9.9, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your King is coming to you. So, what's the answer to their question in verse 10? Who is this? He's the King. He's the King. Maybe not... Well, we don't even have to say maybe. Certainly not in, in the sense that many of them were looking for a King. But a King nonetheless. A greater King than they imagined. And God's got greater things for His people here and now today than to have... Uh, you know, a utopia here on earth. It, it may, be, may very well be, and I think it is the case, that we'll be facing some real persecution in coming years. And I don't know how soon. I'm not going to predict that. But, um, but I think it's coming. I, I don't see this country becoming more Christian. I see it becoming more secularized. Now, if God grants revival and it goes the other way, uh, I'm going to rejoice right along with you. Like I say, I'm not, I'm not uh, making predictions here, but at least what I see now looks like it's becoming more secularized, and it may be that we're in for some real persecution. But don't despair. Don't think that God's not on the throne. There's a greater kingdom that we're to be concerned with. And Jesus is King, regardless of what our circumstances are here. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and they're all shouting again. Verse 9 says, they went behind Him and before Him, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. By the way, when we read earlier Psalm 33, that's the way it starts out. Um, Similarly, I always always find this interesting. Psalm 33, 1. Shout for joy. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Let me give you the, the, the impression that oftentimes, and I'm not saying it always has to be, but that oftentimes praise is loud. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing thing to me. It's a great thing. Shout. Shout for joy. I'm just, not just shout to shout, but shout for joy in the Lord. And that's what they're doing. And they're, they're crying out there. Um, and, that, and that's literally what the, the Greek word used there means. Cry out. It's, it's, it's loud. Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now! Please save! Hosanna in the highest! And the whole, verse 10 tells us, the whole city was stirred up or shaken. It's the idea of being shaken like the effects of an earthquake. It's not a, not a small deal, what Matthew's describing here. This, this is a big event going on. Jesus being recognized as the Messiah riding into Jerusalem and multitudes following Him, praising. Matter of fact, again in verse 9, notice the word crowds or multitudes there is plural. A lot of, lot of people following along, praising Jesus. And the whole city was shaken or stirred up saying, who is this? Well, Matthew's already answered that for us. He's the King. The King. The King of glory. Riding in humbly like we talked about last week, but nevertheless, 
king. And the crowd said, verse 11, This is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. I think possibly there's an allusion there to uh, uh, Deuteronomy, the, the Lord, uh, the prophecy there, going to send you a, a, a prophet like Moses. Um, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, and, and I think that that's partly what they're recognizing here. Um, because I say that because of the definite article, the prophet. The crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus. Now, it could be just the prophet because it goes on to mention his name as his, uh, uh, where he's from. Jesus, the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth. But, but probably um, what, they're, what they're doing is saying, we, we believe this is the Messiah. We believe this is the prophet that Moses promised, that God promised through Moses centuries ago, that would be like Moses, so that everything he said we do, we hear and we, we follow. He's the king. He's the king. And that's seen. He, he goes into the temple in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. So, uh, Matthew, again, as he's been doing all the way through here, is giving us evidence of who Jesus is, his identity, giving us evidence of his authority. He rides in with all of this fanfare, all of this praise. Then he enters the temple and exercises his authority there. And, and I thought it interesting, and I, I like the, the uh, usage of the verbs here. Jesus entered. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. Jesus entered and drove out. He's doing a little house cleaning here in the temple of God. And I, I think this is applicable to us as well. <clears throat> when Jesus enters, when Jesus enters someone's life, he begins to drive out things that don't belong there. And why? Because it's his house. And if you came home probably and found somebody occupying your house that didn't belong there, <laughs> if you didn't, uh, you know, call the police, you, you you might drive them out yourself. You find unwanted um, critters, you drive them out or kill them, whatever the case is. Jesus entered, and when He entered, He began to drive out. Because they're um, misusing and profaning the house of God. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of all those who sold pigeons. And He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. You know, John records uh, a similar incident that uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of scholars, commentators believe is a, is a separate incident. It's, if, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but it's right up front, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He, he goes into the temple, at least the way John records it, and he goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers. But here we're at the end of Jesus' ministry, you know, roughly three, three and a half years later. And, and I think that's probable. In other words, he's doing something he's done once before. 
He began His ministry by cleansing the house of God. And now He's ending His ministry by cleansing the house of God. And why would He do that? Well, again, I think it's, it's, it's a way of demonstrating His authority, His kingship. In verse uh, 13, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The money changers taking advantage of the people, exchanging currencies and charging a fee for it. And then some people would have to travel so far that they couldn't bring the animals that they needed for sacrifice, so they would have to purchase them. So they would, they would sell, him, sell them here in the court of the Gentiles and profit from them. And Jesus is saying, you know, you're taking advantage of the people. You've, you've turned my house, which is intended for worship. It's supposed to be a house of prayer uh, for the nations. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. Misusing God's house. So Jesus enters in and He drives out. The abuses drives out those things that profane. Why? Because He's King. Because He's Lord. Who is this Jesus? He's, he's King. and He's Lord. His house is designed to be a, a house of prayer. A house of worship of Him. Now, I know, just, just, for, uh, just for New Testament application. Let me make a point here, because I know we often refer to the building we meet in as the house of God. But, you know, in reality, it's not. Other than the fact that, you know, we've dedicated it for the use of worship. But what is the real house of God now? Anybody? Yeah, we are. The church. The people. God's people. God's house is intended to be a house of prayer. Worship. We are made to worship Him. So, that kind of gets me to the second thing. I said I was going to kind of point to their question, who is this? And secondly, our, our response. Because I mean, He's King. He's the King of glory. What is our response to that? Well, it should be worship. What Jesus is calling for in verse 13 my house shall be called a house of prayer. What's, what's a house of prayer? It should be a, a, a safety zone, right? Where you go to meet with God. You commune with God. Brother Ron gave a great example of this the other night, Friday night, uh, with, the, with the young people. Um, he, he related a, an example, a story to them that his dad used to relate to him. And just basically told them, you know, think about what you're going to do tomorrow, where you're going to go tonight, tomorrow, whenever. Think about what you're going to do, where you're going to go. And then remember, Jesus will be right there with you. And ask yourself, is that, is that good? Or as Brother Ron said, would you, wherever you're going to go, would you rather leave Jesus in the car? 
Would you rather him not, maybe he should stay home while you go do what you do? Remember, if you're a Christian, he's, he's with you. His house is intended to be a house of prayer. Communion with Him. A place where we meet with God. And that's us, the church. We, we are all about fellowship with our Creator. All about fellowship with our Lord. We should be. We ought to recognize, like Brother Ron was saying the other night, that there's never a moment when we're out of God's presence. So is what we're doing honoring the Lord or bringing reproach on Him? Well, in, in their case, they were bringing reproach. And so Jesus enters and drives those things out. He's the King. So, what is, what is our response to that? Well, again, worship and praise. Let's go back again to verse 9 for a minute. The crowds that went before Him and that followed Him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, this, they're shouting. They're shouting loudly. The psalmist in Psalm 33 and other places, shouting loudly. Psalm 150, the Lord even commands us to Clang loud cymbals. And I love bands and I love music and I love loud cymbals when they're played right. <laughs> but, but most of the time, you know, you just don't think of a loud clang on a cymbal as being a way of expressing praise to God. But it can be. And it's not only here. Last, last week we looked at Revelations 4 and 5. And boy, you, you, John has a glimpse into the throne room of God and that's what's going on. It's loud. And they're loudly praising God. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord God Almighty. But, there's a qualifier uh, in terms of whether or not it's really praise. I'm all for the loud stuff. I like it. Leslie thinks I like it too much. That's because I can't hear that well, you know, sometimes. You know, she thinks I play music too loud in the, in the vehicle and stuff. Um, or, you know, have the phone turned up too loud. Uh, I'm all for the loud stuff. And I'm all for the... The quiet stuff. There's time to be loud and there's a time to be quiet. But, but here's the point. Whether we're loud or quiet, we praise God. That's what we're here for. But what, what's important is the object of our praise. Now, I want to suggest something here. Because um, what these people are doing is, is right outwardly. In fact, Jesus, you know, receives it. The Pharisees are indignant. If you read Luke's account, Luke 21, the Pharisees are indignant. You know why? Because they know the implications. They, they think He's receiving praise. Well, guess what? <laughs> they were right. It's one time the Pharisees were right. And they, and they said, aren't you hearing what these people are saying? And Jesus says, yes. In, in Matthew's account, you see that in verse 16. 
Aren't you hearing what these are saying? And the tense of the verb is that they keep on saying, they, they keep on crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David, verse 15. Hosanna to the Son of David. Aren't you hearing that? And Jesus was saying to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? I mean, just a, a real quick side note. If, if you have looked at this passage in the Old Testament, you'll notice that the wording is different. And uh, I, I say, I'm, I'm going to make a, just a real quick note of this because this question has come up many times concerning different translations. The, the reason, in, in our day, the reason this is different here, um, Matthew's rendering of what Jesus said differs from Psalm 8-2 is because of different translations. Well, they had that issue in their day as well. <laughs> Jesus is quoting what, what Jesus says here, and this is the case in other places too with the disciples, quoting from what we call the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the wording is a little different than the Hebrew. So if you look at Psalm 8.2, you'll, you'll see something like uh, perfected strength or something like that. Any, anybody already turned there? No? Ordained strength. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 8.2 has ordained strength. And that's consistent with the Hebrew there. <clears throat> Jesus' quote is coming from the Greek Septuagint. All right? And it says ordained praise or perfected praise or prepared praise is the way this one, this one reads. So that's just a side note on translations. <clears throat> but here's the deal. Getting back to my point. It's the object of our praise that matters. Jesus quotes from Psalm 8-2, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you, who's the you? God. So we're talking about God Himself. You have prepared praise. And, and the idea is, is for Himself. And that's what we're consistently commanded to do, right? Like we were reading in Psalm 33. And other, Psalm 150, I mentioned a moment ago, praise, praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord. Worship God, we're told. Uh, let me read just a little bit from Psalm 150. He is the object of our praise. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. And there's the, the, uh, uh, the name for God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Praise Yahweh. Praise Jehovah. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Yes, you can praise God with dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And that's what 
all of those verses are talking about praise Him. Praise Him, praise Him, praise the Lord. And it ends out with that word again, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, let me go back to verse, verse 9 and 10 for a minute. What I'm suggesting here is that while they're, while they're doing the right, right thing outwardly, I think they may not be inwardly. And we know, don't we? This is not pure speculation because we're told in various passages, some follow Jesus for the bread. He fed 5,000. Fed 4,000. And, well, some thought, boy, this is great. Free food. <laughs> free food. So they showed up for the free food. And some followed Him. And this sounds deeper, but it still doesn't go deep enough. But some followed Him because of the works He was doing. Now, they were just fascinated by this miracle worker. And he was, he was granting desires. I mean, what people wanted. What, what do you need? Sometimes he would even ask that outright. What is it that you want? We just saw an example of that. The blind Bartimaeus. What is it that you want? Lord, that I may receive my sight. And some people would follow Him for that reason, because of the miracles. Either because they were receiving themselves, or they were just fascinated by the things He was doing, so they would follow and watch. Now, I, I think that's, that's what's happening here. You've got crowds before and crowds behind, and they're ecstatic. And I already mentioned another motivation I mentioned earlier in, in this message. They're looking for liberation for their country. God, help us take America back. Or in their case, help us take Israel back. And they think it's happening, so they're so they're getting they're getting very ginned up. This is it. It's coming. Save now. He's fixing to do it. So there's a lot of praise going on and a lot of loud praise going on, just as God commanded us to do in terms of outward expression. But if the object of the praise is the free bread, in other words, I'm praising him because I got free bread. I mean, this is this is great. I don't have to work. I can follow this guy around and get plenty to eat. Or for you know some things that you can get from him. Well, it's not a small thing for the blind to receive their sight, and it's not a small thing for a leper to be cleansed. But remember when Jesus cleansed the ten leopards, lepers, and one of them returned to give God glory, and Jesus was a little taken back by that. Weren't there? Ten cleanse. Now, I'm pretty sure the other nine had good things to say about him. But, apparently not much love for him. 
And so there's a lot of good, right, outward expression here. But I'm not convinced their hearts are in it. In other words, what I'm saying is, I'm not sure the object of their praise is Jesus as much as it is what they think Jesus will do for them. Why do you, why do you say that? I mean, it's, it, it's not pure speculation. Because less than a week from this event, they will be shouting out again. Crying out. And I'm pretty sure it's some of the same people. Because Matthew says, multitudes, plural. Crowds, plural. And all of these people are gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. I'm pretty sure it's some of the same people. And this time they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now! Oh, he's fixing to set the, he's fixing to do what we want. He's fixing to do what we've been waiting for. And then less than a week later, they're saying, crucify him. Crucify him. So if it's the same people, their hearts aren't in it. It's coming off the lips, but their hearts aren't in it. Now, I'm not saying that's the case with every one of them. As a matter of fact, uh, the women, many of the women who follow Jesus, to their credit, I mean, we, <laughs> we, we probably don't think about this near enough. Even the twelve, you know, were gone when, when Jesus was arrested shortly thereafter. And there were certain women who just stuck by Him the whole way. All the way to the cross. And they took the Sabbath rest and then they were back as soon as the Sabbath was over, you know, to anoint his body. But most everybody else is gone. Gone. So it kind of makes you wonder when you look at verses 9 and 10, what was really the object of their praise? Jesus, in other words, were they in love with Him? Were they, were they worshiping Him? Is this, is this real heartfelt worship for Jesus generated by heartfelt affections for Jesus, love for Jesus? Or is, just, is this just lip service based on what they think Jesus can do for them? We, we've got a way... We think things should be, and Jesus can get us there. He can, he can fix things. He can order things like we want. And then when He doesn't come through on that, it's crucify Him instead of Hosanna to the Son of David. Who Jesus is, is King. In one sense, they were recognizing that. In another sense, they weren't. (laughs) They were right that He's the Messiah. But their whole view of His kingship and the extent of it and His kingdom and how it would manifest and even their own bondage, their whole view was distorted. And they're worried about being in bondage to the government when they should have been concerned with the bondage to sin 
in their heart. Who He is is the key. And our response to who He is should be genuine praise. If you want to get loud, by all means, get loud. You know, they had a slogan. Southern Baptists had a slogan. I think it was last year. Uh, or maybe they still use it. But, uh, love loud. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But, <laughs> but I understand, you know, shout loud or something like that. Praise loud. If you want to get loud, get loud. If you want to get quiet, get quiet. But make sure your praise... Us, make sure our praise is focused on Christ. In other words, what I'm, what I'm simply saying is that we're not being in love with some idea. How, things, how we think things should be and, and maybe Jesus can do this for us. But be in love with a person. Jesus Christ. You know what? <clears throat> I'll close with this. Chapter 18, Jesus says this. In, in chapter 18, verse, verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When you look at the passage we, we just covered this morning in chapter 21, because of the way events play out, I look at verses 9 and 10, and I've got my doubts that these people really love Jesus, even though they've got the outward expression down. But if anybody's doing any real praising here, genuine praising, my guess it's in verse 15. Children crying out in the temple. Hosanna to the Son of David. They're saying the same things that the adult crowd was saying. But I think from, from, from Jesus' response to the Pharisees, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have perfected praise. I think Jesus is acknowledging there that, hey, the praise of these children is real. It's God-ordained. And, and like He says in Luke, if I, if I shut them up, the rocks will cry out. <laughs> That's another point I didn't cover, but I'm not, I'm not going to, so don't worry. But praise is, is necessary. I mean, it's commanded. And besides that, it's just a natural flow of a heart that loves Jesus. Right? If, if there's real praise in this passage, and I think it is, it's coming from the children. Because they love Jesus. Their, their praise is focused on the right object. Not just what they can get, but just 
Him. <laughs> Loving Him. Who is He? King of glory. The Messiah. The Anointed One. The Son of God. The Eternal Son of God. The Eternal Word of God. Through whom all things were created. For whom all things were created. In whom all things are held together. The Godhead bodily in flesh. And our response to all of that should be praise and adoration for Him. For Him. For Him. Our hearts ought to cry out to Him. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Would you stand please? Brother Carl, when we come back tonight, do you, do you have anything you want to share about your Jamaica trip? No. I mean, would you like to? Oh, you're not going to be here tonight? Okay. Okay. All right. Good deal. He just got back from Jamaica, so we'll get the... If you haven't already been updated, we'll get it later, okay? Um, let's have a word of prayer. We'll close. Father, again, we love You and thank You for Your Word and Lord, we do pray. May our, may our praise be real. May it be born out of love for You and may it be focused on You and Your greatness. Just who You are. Who is this? Jesus. The Son of God. And Father, may our Lives be praise-filled by Your grace. Lord, as we move through even the tough times from day to day in our, in our routines, Lord, we, we ask that You enable us to remember. Time here is short. These things are temporary. And we're citizens of a far, far greater kingdom. And Lord, may we live with eternity in view and May that, again, just move us to praise You. And Father, we thankful that You work these things in our hearts. And again, pray that it all be for Your honor and glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80. Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.